capitalism has its own mythology of itself, sort of the liberal capitalist norm, is that it is the final conquest of revenge by humanity. And the story goes something like this, you know, ever since Cain and Abel or since our imagined prehistory, there's been this kind of vengeful spirit that has animated and, um, and really uh, hampered human development. Uh, and that ultimately, in order to overcome our propensity to revenge ourselves against each other uh, for minor or major infractions, we uh, assign or accede to the rule of some sort of sovereign, a king, a ruler of some sort. And that king or ruler then uh, takes revenge out of our hands and says, I will decide. Justice is mine. I will decide who is right and who is wrong. And that the problem with that is that, of course, the ruler is not, there's no such thing as an impartial fair ruler. They're always interested in perpetuating their power and wealth. And so they begin to take their own revenge on their subjects. And the argument is that, well, finally, after thousands of years of human culture, we have a system that allows us to channel our naturally vengeful and acquisitive inclinations into something that's going to be better for everyone. So if you take all of your envy and your vengefulness and you channel them into sort of market activity and competition and striving to outcompete others in the market, that's going to ultimately, in a big scale sort of way, be better for everyone. There's quite sophisticated articulations of this position. The doctors of neoliberalism would suggest to us that capitalism is the only system in which revenge is banished to the borderlands, you know, and, and we, are, we are given depictions of revenge at the borderlands of our civilization all the time, whether it's the revenge economy that occurs in incessant films about gangs or about prisons or about failed states where revenge rules or even about poor neighborhoods in rich countries where revenge is the order of the day. There's this sense that we're constantly afforded a story that makes us thankful to live in a society where revenge has been tamed by the law and also by capitalism. But my argument is, in fact, revenge has moved not to the border of capitalism. It's actually at the very core of capitalism. And we can observe this in the way that capitalism as a system, even though it's not a human, it doesn't have desires, it doesn't have an imagination per se, appears at least to be taking this kind of needless, warrantless, and ultimately self-destructive vengeance on the very people on whom it depends, which is to say humanity. So if you look at runaway climate change, for instance, if you look at mass incarceration crisis in the United States, if you look even at the way that capitalism has rendered us all susceptible to these poverty-driven pandemics, there's a way in which this system seems not only to be kind of blindly seeking wealth, it seems to actually be vindictive in itself. And so I try and use this as a way of explaining not only the operations of capitalism today, but also then contextualizing the rise of far-right revenge politics, suggesting that it's only in a world where we've been habituated and trained by revenge capitalism that revenge politics can take on the kind of uh, power and persuasiveness that we see them with today. So that's sort of the first argument of the revenge book. The second argument of the revenge book is that there's been a movement at the same time, both through popular culture, the dominant ideological institutions of society, schooling, religion, etc., to then defame and demonize the vengeance of the oppressed. And this has been going on throughout capitalist modernity. There has been this sense that 
those who are oppressed are are feared by those who are empowered as pathologically vengeful. So, you know, the classic example are the enslaved. Uh, and I use the example in the book of, of the Haitian Revolution, which was incredibly violent, but it was violent in proportion to the violence that was sort of daily enacted on enslaved people. And that violence that was enacted by the enslaved people who freed themselves was a tame reflection of the violence and vengefulness that they endured all the time. But this fear of the vengeful other, the fear of the vengeful slave, the fear of the vengeful oppressed person comes to animate systems of power and especially systems of power within capitalism that then sort of retroactively and preemptively justifies a revenge to keep them suppressed. We can't let up the, the thumb for one minute or else these people will come for our heads, this sort of logic. And I argue that this is still ongoing and that this pathologization and demonization of the vengeance of the oppressed and fear of the vengeance of the oppressed continues to animate our political imaginations. And in fact, when we think about it, there are some forms of, let's not call them revenge, but I call them avenging, that are justified and legitimate. There are many, many people out there who are very rich today because they staffed fossil fuel corporations that actively hid the evidence of the catastrophic impact of climate change that they were contributing to, who have gotten off scot-free and within the capitalist system in which we live, they will never be brought to justice. These people have directly have blood on the hands. They knew exactly what they were doing and they chose to put profit over people, to use that old adage. There are so many actors in our society who have knowingly, willingly, and with intent done incredible harm, who are today still being rewarded by this system. We know that within this system, these people will not be brought to justice. There is a way in which we could ask for revenge. We could see these people on trial, we could see them executed, but I don't necessarily think that's particularly useful. The amazing and terrifying thing about capitalism is every single person within it is completely and almost immediately replaceable. They can, you can get a new president, you can get a new CEO, you can get a new PR flack tomorrow. There's a million people struggling to achieve that position and they'll all be equally heinous. So an avenging imaginary, as I describe it in this book, is to say, what would it mean to take a perspective, an abolitionist perspective, which is to say that we recognize that we not only need to take revenge on particular individuals who've caused such pain and such chaos, in fact, that revenge may be counterproductive in certain senses, but rather we need to avenge ourselves upon the system that so empowered, enabled, enriched them. We need to abolish those systems that gave them the ability to cause the harm in the first place, not so we can put a new ruler on the throne and give him the mace of the state, or not so we can elect a new CEO who is going to, you know, smile and cry and, you know, give someone a hug, rather so that we can actually abolish the system that enabled the violence to take place in the first place, that enabled the revenge of the system itself. And so I think these two things in some way have to go together, the sense of understanding systems can be vengeful without anyone necessarily intending it or wanting it to be the, that case, and that we need to think through revenge much more carefully and avoid this kind of knee-jerk reaction to revenge, which I call reconciliophilia or the love of reconciliation.